Hello and welcome to episode eight, the final episode of season one of Children in Church, podcast for folks who work with children in church. Whether you teach Sunday school, volunteer in the summer, go to camp, help with choir, or even lead the ministry, we are so glad you're here. To wrap things up for this first season, we have Dr. Cheryl Miner joining us from the Center for the Theology of Childhood at Godly Play. Godly Play is an incredible publisher and really a cornerstone of the understanding on spirituality and development of children and faith communities. Dr. Miner speaks not only of Godly Play, that curriculum, but also the principles that support it and how it can be utilized by all ministries. This was another conversation where I was just blown away and could not wait to share it with you. So here is Dr. Cheryl Miner. Dr. Miner, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Um, I'm really excited to have you on. I'm excited to talk about Godly Play. I feel like uh, when I started working in and around children's ministry, Godly Play was something that I I often heard about. And it, it took me a minute to kind of figure out what it was that everybody was always fawning over and talking about. Uh, and once I did learn it, I was excited to learn more about it as well. So thank you for joining us. I I want us to start the same way we're going to start a lot of these episodes and ask you um, about a memory of, of yours in children's ministry, either as a child yourself or working with children's ministry later on. What is what is a fond memory for you in children's ministry? Um, yeah, well, I've been teaching Godly Play for, I don't know, some somewhere in the order of 30 years now. Um, and I still always remember this one moment in um, one of my circles. Uh, I was teaching a group of just three and four-year-olds. They were really young and um, trying to get through my presentation on the parable of the great pearl with lots of interruptions, as you can imagine, with three and four-year-olds. And uh, at the end, in Godly Play, we always sit back and ask uh, wondering questions. They're not really questions. They're more like statements. But we want them to feel open. And so we use a question mark at the end. And um, and so I was going through the questions that are at the end of the story. And I just kind of said, well, I wonder what could be so precious that you'd be willing to give up everything for it. And um, my um, little person to my right, little, little guy who'd been very busy throughout the story turned to me and said, must be us. And I went, what? And so I'd already, I'd always thought that story was, you know, about what I had to give up in order to be a follower of Jesus. You know, you know, the, the person gives up everything for the great pearl, right? Even his house, like everything. And, and I think it is about that, but parables always have so much more to them, right? If you, you can always flip them on their side and see something different. And um, in that moment, it was right after Easter, I thought, must be us. Wow. Yes. You know, God has given up everything so we can be with him, even his son on the cross. And I just was so moved by that. I just could hardly believe it. And it was just this little three-year-old boy. I, you know, I'd been to seminary. I had studied and preached on the, on the story many times. I'm ordained. Um, and when he said that, it just blew the, the parable mm -hmm. open for me. And I'll never forget. That That is wonderful. I I had the opportunity to work with three and four-year-olds and lead a weekly chapel for them over the past couple of years. And it is amazing to me the distractions that they can bring and the off-topic comments and questions that they just raise their hand and just ask just in the mm -hmm. middle of, you know, unprompted. But then at the same time, their ability to grab a hold of something 
from the lesson. And you may think they hadn't paid attention at all, that their brain was off elsewhere. And then they just shock you with those moments where it was, oh my goodness, they're listening and they are engaging with this on a level that I wasn't even attempting to to kind of engage with. And they grabbed a hold of that. Um, those moments are are so special. Thank you for for sharing that with us. That's that's amazing. Um, sure. So so thirty years with Godly Play. So tell me tell me a little bit about. Can you introduce Godly Play to us? Let us know a little bit what it is, and then how did you get involved with Godly Play? What what brought you along? Yeah. So Godly Play grew out of the Montessori movement. So it's in that world of Montessori, and most people know a little bit about Montessori, right? They use um, hands-on manipulatives to teach things like reading and writing and math and science and all the rest. And so it looks like that, like right? we have hands-on materials that we use to, um, to make visible the stories from the Old and the New Testament, um, uh, liturgical lessons about how we worship and those change depending on what context you're in, right? If you're a Baptist, your liturgical lessons are going to look different than uh, the Quakers or the um, Episcopalians, which I am an Episcopalian. Um, so we have those liturgical action lessons, um, and all of them are presented in a way to uh, uh, with with a, a kind of openness. So there's kind of story and wonder and play involved um, to help children make existential meaning um, uh, uh, their whole lives, right? They learn this language and begin to use it to grapple with those existential limits that we all grapple with just because we are human. So the, the couple of the hallmarks of the method are that it has a prepared environment. Um, so we have a carefully curated environment that we've prepared for the children to come and do this work together. Um, a kind of unspoken lesson is this space is, is sacred. It has been prepared with you in mind. You can access everything you need here without any help. So everything's at their level. Um, as they get older, you know, we, we um, enrich the environment with more things for them. Um, and um, so that's one of the hallmarks of the, so in, in addition to the little materials that we use to tell the story, the environment is carefully prepared for them. Um, and then of course, this time of wonder is also a hallmark. A lot of people are picking up on that in other curriculums too, you'll see people trying to use the wondering questions. Um, but the big questions are, I wonder what part you like best. I wonder what part is the most important. I wonder what part is about you or what part you were in. And I wonder what part we could leave out and still have all that we need. So those are the big wondering questions we ask. Um, and then there's open response time afterwards where children are free to choose to do whatever they want. So we don't have a craft or um, you know, an art project or something that everyone does. There are art materials in the room that they can use, um, but there are also stories and books that they can pull off the shelf. Um, so it's an open response time. I discovered Godly Play when I was newly ordained. I, um, I was in Philadelphia and um, was went to a Saturday day, you know, like a resource day for Christian educators. And there was this woman on the floor and she's telling a story in a desert box. You know, we tell a lot of the Old Testament stories in a box filled with sand. And so she had this sand in front of her and she presented a story and I was captivated. 
Um, and I went up to her afterwards and said, how do I learn how to do that? And she took me downstairs. It was at her church and showed me their room. And it just blew my mind. Um, and she said, well, I'm going to go to this workshop next month in Houston, Texas. Would you like to come with me? And so I did. I just figured it out. And, you know, I had a two-year-old at home, but we, you know, we made it happen. My husband and I, I, I went to Houston and met Dr. Berryman and um, the rest is history. I started following him around wherever he went and um, uh, became a trainer for him in 2000. And, um, and then I joined the staff at the foundation in 2016 as the director of the Center for the Theology of Childhood. I love that journey. And I love that what first attracted you about it. I feel like in children's ministry, when you go to those kind of resource fairs, there are colors and sounds and everything can be bright and exciting and all of that kind of, but just seeing somebody sitting on the floor playing in a sandbox, you know, that, that is the image that I have in my mind. When I think about godly play, that has been kind of my first introduction uh, to the curriculum as well, to the, to the idea of godly play. And it is attractive. Um, and I think it's attractive to, to children and to adults because it's, it's different, the simplicity of it, the engagement of it. Um, I love that that's, that's where your story uh, begins as well. I, part of what I heard in, as you were talking about godly play, you were talking about the preparation of the room. You're talking about the wonder questions and open response as those as kind of uh, pieces of the foundation of, of how godly play works in the classrooms. You have more you can tell us about what are the the objectives of of godly plays with those kind of starting points and those pieces of what it looks like in a classroom. Uh, what are you hoping to instill in children's ministry? What are the objectives of of godly play? Yeah, in godly play, we know we believe that children come to us already knowing who God is. They've had an experience of God. Um, they may not um have any language to talk about it yet and that is what we can give them and we know that the language of the story of the people of god is the most powerful way to teach them um, that language and so really we're we're teaching them um the language of the christian people um, and our hope is that as they move through early middle and then late childhood doing this practicing making meaning with these lessons that they will have an inner working knowledge of the Christian language system um, so that they can use it to make existential meaning their whole lives. That's the simplest way to put it. It's way more complicated than that, right? I mean, language systems, you know, we talk about, I mean, just think about when we, when we learn a language, whether it's English or Spanish, right? There are, there are, there are parts of the language that come together to create a sentence so that we can express ourselves. Well, we have those same things in Christianity, right? We have sacred stories, we have parables, we have liturgical action and silence. And those four pieces get brought together so that we can make meaning with our lives. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I a little peek behind this, the the scenes that how the the recording of this podcast is that uh, we're recording these these episodes a little out of order, and so the, they're not coming out in the order that we're recording them. But already, I'm I'm sensing this theme of what this podcast is going to have of the innate spirituality of children. That children mm. are having these experiences. That children are communing with the divine in their own way, and we are not introducing them to God, but instead we are. Uh, helping provide language um, 
to the experiences they're having. Um, and I really love that. I really love how that empowers children and, and kind of gives a new role to the adults around them um, to, to equip them for the experiences they are having and they will continue to have uh, rather than holding God back from them and bringing God to them for the first time. I think that that, that is a, a helpful uh, perspective to have when working with children. Yeah, you know, Rebecca Nye and David Hay, in their research on children's spirituality, um, uh, coined a term, they call it relational consciousness, um, where children um, uh, relate to, um, to a transcendent figure. They may not have a name for it, right, until we start to give them names, right, for it. Um, but so, so to God, to um, other people, right, so in relationship with others, nature is, is really important to children. They often come close to God in nature. And then, um, and then a sense of self, right? What I need and what's important to me. So those kind of four areas of relational consciousness. Um, and as we nurture those and, and help give voice to those feelings and experiences that they're having, um, we, we know from research that we increase their spiritual well-being. And um, research that I did for my, for my PhD, right? It's where I found that it actually does help their spiritual well-being, increase their spiritual well-being when we nurture those things. And really, that's what we're trying to do in Godly Play. Um, we talk also a lot about existential limits. And sometimes people get nervous when I use that word. They think it's existentialism, which is a whole other thing, right? It's not mm -hmm. an ism, right? We're talking about limits and, and those limits of aloneness. You know, we come into this world alone there's no one else inside our skin. Um, and, and there's always a, another side to an existential limit. We're also in need of relationship, right? So that, that limit of aloneness, um, the freedom, right? Which is both, we want freedom, but there's also a fear of freedom, right? When, you, when there's too much freedom, it can cause some existential, existential anxiety. And because um, we're not sure what to do, right? We want, we want some direction. Um, if, if we don't know where we're going, we feel lost. Um, and then there's um, the existential limit of uh, questions of meaning and purpose, those big questions of meaning and purpose. And then of course, death. And so we also talk about that in Godly Play that we wanna find a way to encourage to children to talk about those things, to come right up to the edge of being and knowing and talk about those things. Often in their lives, when they start to talk about those things, well-meaning adults say, oh, don't think about that, right? Don't, that's, that's too serious, you know, go play. And, you know, don't worry about those things. But children do worry about those things. And, um, and we in Godly Play want to create a safe space where they can talk about those things and explore those things and make meaning around all of it. That's great. And I think, I think that kind of leads me to, to the next question a little bit of, Godly Play has been around for a little bit. And I think, as you said, I think we can see in different curricula the way that the ideas of Godly Play and the ideas that Godly Play draws upon how um, there are perhaps a little more uh, broad um, spread out in curriculum and in, in Sunday school than they were when Godly Play first started. Uh, but what what to you remains unique about Godly Play? What does it bring to children's ministry, uh, to that kind of Sunday school environment for children uh, that you think is unique from, from other offerings? Yeah, you know, Godly Play grew out of a place of dissatisfaction with um, the primarily transactional approach to Christian education in the church. Um, 
you know, that there you have to do a certain number of things in order to be saved, or you have mm. to do a certain number of things in order to be a good Christian. Um, you know, and there was this dissatisfaction with that. You know, the reality is we're all human beings and we fall short of what God intends for us in our lives. And um, instead, we need a place to go and um, and be when we're feeling that sense of falling short. And, um, you know, if we're just told, you know, I, I, I mean, a great example is in my pastoral work as a priest. Um, people often come to me um, in moments of great pain and grief. Um, and, and they'll often say to me, I've done everything right. You know, I've kept all of God's 10 commandments, perhaps they say, or I've, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. Why is this happening to me? And, um, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm always saying, well, God is there with you in it, right? And is redeeming it even as we speak, because that is what God is. God is the creator who redeems everything, even this horrible situation that you find yourself in. Um, but we do ourselves, I think we do ourselves a, um, well, we do everyone, um, we, we sell things short when we think Christianity is about following a certain set of rules and or being a good person. Um, and, and so Godly Play grew out of a dissatisfaction with that model. Right? And that's what's unique about it. It's just it's not about um, teaching facts about God mm-hmm. um, in hopes that children will then believe God. It's instead just making space for God to come close to children because we trust that they can do that all by themselves. Yeah, I've been I've been fascinated recently by the history of specifically Sunday school uh, in the United States and how Sunday school was kind of uh, the birth of the public school system in the United States and how that was at first where literacy was taught and all these kinds of things. And now since Sunday school gave birth to public school and then it feels like for a while, those two things kind of coexisted in a certain way and and drew on similar ideas and objectives and models. And now I feel like we're kind of starting to separate back out again in that we're, we're thinking about education in these different ways. And, and specifically when we think about spiritual education, where we're recognizing, as you've been saying, that this isn't about a transaction of knowledge. This isn't about um, facts being given to uh, new members or anything like that. But instead, it's about recognizing the experiences that children are having and, and equipping them with the language needed uh, to to engage with those. Um, and, and I exactly. really a- a- appreciate that um, about godly play. And, and as you said, how it kind of ends with with wonder, uh, that it doesn't end with a, a, a doctrinal point uh, or anything like that, but in- encouraging the participants to continue to be curious and to ask questions. Uh, I really do appreciate that about it. And and I think that, that that really brings brings us to to my last question, which is if there are churches that don't have godly play for for whatever reason that might be, are there principles or techniques that you think can be taken from this from this model, from this method that can be applied to whatever other curricula churches may be using? Um, is there anything that comes to mind for you about that? Um, yeah, I mean, sort of adopting um, this um, this sense of trust in the child and in God's word, right? I mean, a lot of times, I think um, Godly Play takes an enormous amount of trust um, for people on either end of the spectrum, right? That 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 this is a living document, the Bible, and that it it is that God is in it, and that in and through the Holy Spirit. It, it's going to speak to children in ways that they need and trusting the child, right? Trusting the child and not telling the child what they should think or feel about a particular passage in the Bible, but 
just getting out of the way and letting God and the child interact um, in this living document. Um, so it takes a lot of trust, but you can bring that into whatever curriculum you're using, you know, because they all are based on Bible stories for the most part. Um, so reading those stories with that kind of trust and openness and not having to explain everything to the child from your perspective, right? But letting the child just listen and wonder about the story um, is one of the ways that you can bring the sensibilities of godly play into any curriculum. And then also this open response time. I think that is easily um, adapted in any curriculum, um, not bringing in those sort of canned responses that we see in so many curriculums and instead just having some high quality art materials in the room and inviting the children to, to respond in whatever way they want to the, to the story. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of uh, this study that I heard one time about memory and how we often think of memory as uh, a recording of what happened, you know, but in, in reality, our memories are just memories of memories and they can, can become altered as we tell stories. And, and it, it began to talk about children with memory and how we can increase children's uh, memory of events that happened when they were young. And, and one of the things that was discussed was encouraging children to tell stories about their own life and allowing them to free associate about it. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of kind of asking a child uh, what they remember about an experience. And if they start at that experience and then start to trail off about another experience and this and that, just allowing mm -hmm. them to talk yeah. about it. And the more that we do that with children, the the stronger their memory becomes. Um, and if we try to continually redirect them to, toward, no, 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 we're not talking about that. We're talking about this instead, um, that that won't work as well. But allowing children to kind of guide their own experience and, and remember on their own way and hearing you talk about um ways uh, open response and encouraging wonder i think that those things do just that they they engage a child's ability to remember and, and to engage with the material in their own way uh which is which is more effective um and like you said it's it's trusting of the child it shows them that the people around them trust them um that they are trustworthy um in that spiritual sense and that is that is so powerful um and, and trust I, and trusting god right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah definitely and that the, a child's experience in church informs so much of their understanding of God. Um, and mm -hmm. if, if the overall sense they have in that space uh, is trust, like you said, trusting God, trusting the people around them, trusting themselves, uh, trusting the stories in the Bible, uh, that goes a long way uh, for their spirituality. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I, I would be remiss if I didn't say a word about my book that I wrote recently. Sure, please. Um, yeah, so often people, when they hear the word godly play, they think that must be for very young children. Just the name itself conjures up playrooms and um, toys, right? Um, but we uh, really believe that children in early, middle, and late childhood, all the way up through age 13, 14, um, can do godly play. And that's what my book is about, godly play in middle and late childhood. And it was fascinating. As part of that book, we interviewed um, young adults who are in their 20s and 30s who had godly play all the way through early, middle, and late childhood to ask them what they remembered about it and what continues to animate their lives even today as a young adult. And it was fascinating to hear them talk about it. And, and one of the most important pieces for them was this wonder and uh, just uh, the, the comfort of just resting in the questions and not having to have everything tied up in a neat little bow. Um, was really important for them and continue to be important for them as young adults. That's great. Can you can you tell us the name of that book one more time? It's Godly Play in Middle and Late Childhood, and it's published by Church Publishing Incorporated. 
Okay, and I'll make sure to get that link from you, and we'll include it in our show notes and everything so that folks uh, can get a hold of that if they would like to. But Dr. Miner, thank you so much for this. I, I've learned so much about godly play and about uh, working with children, and I, I do really appreciate you you coming on and talking with us. And I hope that folks will uh, learn a little bit more about godly play um, and and the different principles and techniques that are used in it. I do think they can be meaningful uh, for their ministries, whether they use this particular resource um, or whatever they're using in their church. I do think uh, there's a lot they can gain from it. So so thank you so much for for coming on and, and joining us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Harrison. If you have made it this far, we ask one more time that you will like and subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share it with a friend or coworker. All of these things help us to know we served you well and help other people find the resources too. You'll find some links to connect with Godly Play on Facebook and through their website in the show notes. You'll also find my email address and ways to follow our work at the Ball Center on Facebook. Make sure to connect with us so you won't miss out on workshops and other projects that we have coming down the way. This is the last episode of this first season, and we will be back with more. In the meantime, don't miss out on all the other things that we have going on at the Ball Center for Baptist Leadership. Thanks so much. Brought to you by the Ula May and John Baugh Center for Baptist Leadership at Mercer University.